Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today are Rob and Kennedy, founders of Email Marketing Heroes. And we're going to be discussing modern email marketing that won't make you feel sick. I have never felt more vulnerable as a podcast host because here with me, we've got Rob, who is a hypnotist, and Kennedy, who is a psychological mind reader. So I feel like I might as well just sit back today and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the podcast, Robin Kennedy. Hello. Hello. Right, I've got to know a little bit about your story because it's, I don't think we've ever had either a psychological mind reader or a hypnotist on the podcast in 650 something episodes. So I want to know a little bit more about how your years in show business really culminated in launching an email marketing company. So it sounds wild, I realize. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make more sense as I start to unpack this. So um, hello, I'm Rob, by the way. Uh, Rob with the red hair, half a Rob, half a red. Uh, that's the only clues you get. Kennedy is the... Um, the Good uh, looking and really funny one. Kennedy's the other one. Let's say Kennedy's the other one. Um, I'm a hypnotist, as you said. So for the past 18 years, I've been lucky enough initially alongside school and then eventually full-time when I left school um, to travel almost all over the world performing as a stage hypnotist. So I get people up on stage, hypnotize them in a show, make them do hilarious things, and then send them back to the audience. And Kennedy, as you said, is a mind reader, uh, uses skills like body language and psychology and reading people and statistics and understanding human behavior to make it look a lot like he can read people's minds, which is really the closest thing to being able to read people's minds. And when we left school for me and university for Kennedy, we met at a magic conference about the same time, so just before that, and became friends. And we both realized that straight out of school for me and university for Kennedy, we'd accidentally started a business. We'd never really planned, either of us, I don't think, on being entrepreneurs. But suddenly... I think a lot of people think as entertainers, you, it's kind of like a like people say, do you do, 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 do okay at that? Like, is that okay? And it, the truth is, it's just a business like any other. Um, you don't just stick an advert in the yellow pages and hope for the best. You've got to learn about pricing, positioning, branding, standing out from a, a busy crowd. You know, what we sell could be seen as a gimmick rather than something that really treats a big pain point. So we've got to look at that as well. And so what we started to do was to 
find ways that we could stand out from the crowd, get clients, get referred, get repeat clients. And email was just the thing that we most naturally leaned into. Now, the thing that's worth pointing out then is that email 18 years ago was very different to what it is now. Not everybody had an email list. Not everyone was on 300 different email lists. Uh, There weren't that many emails landing in people's inboxes. And at the time, the technology really was you could get somebody to opt in, join your list, email them, merge their first name in. And that felt like witchcraft. Like that felt like putting a man on the moon to us as as sort of uh, late teenagers, early 20s, just getting started with this stuff. And so uh, that was really exciting. So that's what we wanted to do. And we just very quickly and very naturally became quite good at it. And we're trying to find ways to do it that were different to what other people were doing and teaching. And before very long, that led to other entertainers, everything you can think of, jugglers, ventriloquists, clowns, hypnotists, everything saying, how are you using email to book gigs? Because they hadn't done that up to that point, really. So we ended up helping some friends. That led to us teaching as a business, uh, each teaching other entertainers how to do this stuff. And then eventually, that about five, six years ago, we got approached by somebody in the more sort of general marketing sphere who said, hey, would you come and speak? I've seen what you're doing with email marketing. Would you come and speak at this event for all these different business owners? And they varied from people who sell cakes through to people who've got martial arts studios, through to people who make and sell stuff, through to marketing professionals and everything you can imagine in between. Small businesses. Would you come and speak to this crowd? And so we were like, okay. I don't know why you want us, but okay. So we went along and we did it. And what we discovered by getting there is that what we were sharing was so radically different to generally speaking, how people felt about email marketing. So we would get up and say things like, we email our list every day. And almost everybody in this audience of like 300 people passed out. And And the reason was, what they were hearing was, we email our list every day. And what they were imagining is the rubbish emails they receive being sent out every day. And then thinking, nobody could possibly do that. That's horrendous. And so we've really set ourselves this little mission. We still perform today, although obviously through the pandemic, that was fairly impossible, but we still perform. That's still a passion. It's still a thing we do. We haven't stopped doing that in order to become uh, email marketers or anything. But what we now do is take the same psychology that I apply on stage as a hypnotist and Kennedy applies on stage as a psychological mind reader to email marketing, not only in our own businesses, but also to help other businesses do this email marketing. Like, like you said at the intro, won't make you feel sick. Mm. We'll, we'll jump in a little bit more to some of the specific techniques that you take from uh, psychology and maybe is it hypnotherapy and take those things and how you apply them to email marketing. But you touched on something and I kind of joked at the beginning, you know, I feel vulnerable in terms of uh, I don't want to be hypnotized you to take over the show and for me to be a laughing stock for the rest of my career. <laughs> but um, but I, I thought when you, a lot of the work that you do, and you, I think you touched on it for Kennedy in particular, the work is physical. So being on stage and interacting with an audience that way, can you actually achieve the same things in mind reading and hypnotherapy through audio? Is that possible? (laughs) It's funny, right? Because first of all, I want to just make sure Rob doesn't get too big for his boots. He's definitely not a hypnotherapist. He is not helping anybody uh with with their with their mind in that way no he's a he's a hypnotist which means he does funny stuff on stage make make people do funny things but um yeah so basically i mean it's all about communication it's all about two things what do you understand about your audience and then what do you do with that understanding to make sure you can have more of an impact uh on on those people and whether that's your influencing people to do things or and basically you can't not influence people at the end of the day, right? Whatever you say, whatever you do, you are influencing people. You either influence them towards something you want them to do, 
or away from that thing. And the first thing I think most of us need to do is become much more aware, much more conscious of the things that we're doing. And definitely not like in a brainwashing way, like there's no like special magic words that will suddenly have you barking like a dog and clucking like a chicken and thinking you're Madonna. Definitely not. That's not how it works. People who are selling and that old sort of drudgery is, are just selling rubbish, honestly. Uh, what this is really about is understanding people and understanding that we all have key core motivators that get us to take action, to get us to feel things, to get us to think things, and get us to do things, and tap into those. And as long as you're, what you're selling, or what you're asking them to do is positive, is good, is for their own good, and you give them a way out of it as well and say, hey, this is not for everyone, then that's great. That's what ethical persuasion is about. It's not about tricking people into doing anything because that's been around for far too long. When you take all of those concepts, was it an easy process to put it into writing? Because everything that you're saying to me comes across as a, like a physical medium, like even just hearing the enthusiasm for your, in your voice, there's something more tangible about audio and video, which I think would lend itself more to really your skill set and what's natural to you. So it's really interesting to me that email marketing would become the thing where you channel all of that energy, enthusiasm, and that skill set. How natural was it for you when you sat down to write those emails? So it's really interesting because actually written communication like email gives you a load of advantages over video or audio or face-to-face or speaking on stage or any of those things when it comes to this stuff. And that is that, for example, if you come and see me do a show, or if you go and see Kennedy do a show, one of the first things we have to do in the venue where the show is happening is make sure that we put a bunch of stuff in place that gives us the control over the environment so that we are in full control of what people see, the order they see it in, what they hear, what the distractions are, what distractions there are, and, and all of that stuff. And that when somebody can see you or hear you or they're, or they're sat f- across from you, there's actually a bunch of stuff, there's a bunch of extra things that could entice them and bring them in or could just turn them off and put them off completely. There's an old thing I remember, years, I remember hearing that years and years and years ago, a long time ago, when uh, the television first became a thing that people could really have in their house, you know, and not every house on the street would have one, like maybe one or two houses on the street would have one. Uh, A little girl got interviewed by the press and somebody said to this little girl, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the wireless, the radio? Do you prefer the wireless or the television? And the little girl really famously in this interview said, I prefer the wireless because the pictures are better. And for me, there's no better illustration of our brain's ability to fill in the blanks and to paint pictures and to make us feel something that, in my opinion, other forms of communication can definitely do, but also have their disadvantages, like there's distractions and things that you don't like. Really great example of this. We talk about making our emails really plain and very boring. So we have a white background with black text. The most we might ever have in it would be like if we're going to send somebody to go and watch a video, we might put a little screenshot of the video in the email and and that'd be that. But for the most part, we try and keep it fairly blank from pictures, even if what you sell is a very visual thing like handmade jewelry or something like that. And there's a few reasons for that. But in 100% of our testing across loads of different niches and industries, that's outperformed the jazzy newsletter with loads of images and stuff. And one of the things that it does is it allows people to paint the pictures that make the most sense to them. So for example, if you're telling a story in an email, about some horrendously ugly sofa. You know, I went around to my auntie's house. She's just bought this brand new sofa and she loves it. And I saw it and I thought it was awful. It was an ugly sofa. I don't know why anyone would want a sofa like that. And here's a picture of it. And there's a picture of it and they look at it and they think, well, I've just bought that sofa. Or 
Um, I think that sofa looks lovely. You've now created all sorts of disconnects, distractions, and thoughts you don't want them to have. Whereas if you just describe an ugly sofa without going into detail about what it looked like, you just said there was a really ugly sofa. Every reader can decide what that sofa looks like to them. What's what's an ugly sofa in your brain is probably going to be different to what an ugly sofa in my brain is. And I've seen Kennedy's sofa, and we don't need to talk about his taste and so on. Just kidding. Um, So the big thing here is to realize that the importance of allowing people to paint pictures in their brains that that create emotions and feelings and they're much more powerful than if we try and spoon feed people things. That's the first bit I'll say. The second bit I'll say is that really for us, email is the vehicle that you use to get people anywhere you want them to be. So we've got a bunch of people who would talk to us and say, well, I'm not doing email marketing because every week I do a Facebook Live or a LinkedIn Live or um, I have a YouTube channel and I just put my videos out there and that's the sort of only content I have on the internet. And so I'm not doing email. And our big thing really is that actually what email does is it fuels everything else that you do. So if you're doing a webinar and you want to get more people on the webinar and you can sell really well by engaging and being uh, a personality on a webinar, great, but use email to get more people to show up to the webinar. Likewise, if you've got a YouTube video and that works well for you, a YouTube channel, or you do Facebook Lives once a week, or you've got a Facebook group or a LinkedIn community or something like that, use email to get people more people, more of your crowd to go and look at that thing. So we're not, we're definitely not saying that email replaces everything else in your business. We use a lot of video and we use a lot of stuff. We have our podcast, the email marketing show. So we have all of this other stuff that allows us to become 3D and to be seen as a three-dimensional person. But really for us, in terms of what email allows you to do by painting these metal, mental pictures, it's really powerful. Mm. The way I'm visualizing that, it's almost like you're, is it fair to say you're using email marketing as like influential signposting it's like both directions isn't it because if you think about when we all first got facebook remember that you got your first book first facebook account and every time somebody tagged you or heaven forbid poked you on facebook remember those days and that was okay and uh, what, what would facebook do to let you know and get you onto the platform they would send you an email about it Right, the biggest senders of emails in the world are email are, are the are the social media platforms, and what that means is it's a two directional relationship. We want to move people from just being on our Instagram. So people are on our Instagram. I know some of, some of your listeners maybe follow us on Instagram or whatever, but you know that we move people to our email list. Why? Because then we can be able to move you back to other places as well. Also, obviously, marketing one hundred one is you want to own the data. Like obviously, if you get kicked off or or shadow banned on, on Instagram. Well, you've got nothing you can do about that. You can't download your data and upload it to MySpace. That's not going to work. Whereas if you have a Barney, you have a fallout with your email marketing platform, you can download it and upload it to a different one. So at least you're going to own the data. That's a really good thing. And then you can signpost people back to those platforms. So it's interesting that people say, you know, how do you email so often? Or how do you make offers and emails? And you want to have offers in most of your emails, definitely. You want to have people to stuff that people can click on. Definitely. But it doesn't always have to be paid stuff. Like sometimes the links in our emails, yes, there might be, hey, go check out our email marketing membership. We call the lead. Yes, it might be that sometimes. But sometimes it's, hey, we've just released a new episode of the email marketing show podcast. Here's the link to it. Or here's a here's our Facebook group, whatever. Like we definitely want to use it as the place where people come in to get value. And that's a big change that we want people to make in their email marketing. Like email, the emails themselves should be valuable. Like email, email is the other app that's on people's phones, snuggled in between TikTok and Tinder, where they want to get value. I was thinking about how long you've been in email marketing. And I was thinking also about GDPR, 
privacy regulations. And I know there's kind of a renewed focus on email marketing because of people wanting the first party data ownership. Are you seeing this renewed emphasis or people discussing this and coming to you as a source to help them really secure greater first party data? Is that something that you've seen as a trend over the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a real thing lately where, you know, more and more people are being banned from the email, from the social media platforms, rather, mostly and often without any particular cause. This is just happening. Uh, you know, people we know who've built multiple accounts on Instagram up to tens of thousands of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers are ha- suddenly having that taken away. But for us, I think one of the big things is people are starting to realize that having a big following on social media doesn't actually, a lot of the time, just translate directly into, into revenue and into sales because of, I mean, if you just took the numbers of, uh, you know, if you had 10,000 followers on Instagram or 10,000 connections on LinkedIn, and they have the same 10,000 people by email, we couldn't even begin to imagine what the difference would be in terms of the sales from that. But it's going to be 10, 20, maybe 100 times more just by having the same people, but having their, their email addresses and being able to sell to them that way. So I think people are starting to realize, I think what happened was people people who, were, who got into business and started their businesses in the last maybe 10 years were kind kind of tainted by the terrible email marketing they've been receiving, the, the sort of grubby stuff that we talk about. And they thought, well, I don't want to do that to people because I hate receiving it. One of our clients quite recently said this, they're a business partnership. They came in, one of them was quite open to it. The other one said, I'm only really here because she's here. I hate receiving emails. I don't think I want to send any more than we're sending now. And now they send emails to their list every day and they love it and their subscribers love it too. And so I think one of the really interesting things about this is, it's easy to look at email as it's being done to us and think that that's what it, that's what it is. That's what email marketing is. And I don't like that. So I'm not going to do it rather than, well, what could it be? And how could it be different? And how could I use it? And how could my people like it? So I think people are now starting to see that, A, there's definitely a downside to just being building a business on borrowed land, just building a business on social versus you know, moving those people across onto your email list. So we always talk about building your, uh, building your audience on social media, but build a business via email. And so I think that people are definitely starting to see that that's an important thing to start doing. I want to know more about the grubby stuff. Tell me about the grubby email marketing that you either have seen in the past, you continue to see the things that just really irk you. What's happening? For me, it's definitely got to be about that tricky, get it opened, get it, get it opened at any cost. And we've seen that a lot, like tricky, dodgy subject lines, people using stuff like RE, RE, and then something in the subject line to make you feel like, oh, uh, I must, this must be reply to something I've forgotten I sent. And you open it and you feel immediately furious because well, you know that this, that wasn't the case or FW forward, you know, anything that tricks people into, into opening the email is definitely one of the, the old grubby ideas. It's this idea that you build an email list and you email them and bash them over the head until they buy, die or unsubscribe. I mean, what kind, what kind of thing is that? Like the thing is, Social media has meant as a society, in terms of our psychological makeup as human beings, we have changed, we've evolved, and we now know that we can unfollow people. We don't have to watch what's on BBC One tonight at eight o'clock because we're going to stick on Netflix or Prime or whatever and watch what we want when we want to watch it. And I might not be in the mood for that show tonight, but I'm in the mood for the other show. And we get to select, we're like, that has happened. That has what has changed and what social media has allowed us to do. But the problem is, while email absolutely allows you to do that with more control and easier than, than any social platform, the problem is most people doing email marketing 
haven't embraced that, haven't updated their thinking and the way they do it. Because they're like, well, that old-fashioned way is working. Well, it has worked. Is it working now when unsubscribing is so easy and are also precious over our email inboxes? No, it's not. So I think this idea of tricking people onto your email list, like, surprise, now you're on my email newsletter. I know you just downloaded that free report, but guess what? Now you're going to hear from me. Guess what? No, absolutely not. I think we need to be much more, much more in line with GDPR, in line with actual just cultural stuff. Tell people they're going to be on your email newsletter. Hey, when you when you get join my email newsletter today, you're also going to get this awesome free report. You're also going to get this cool video. You're going to get whatever it's going to be. And then in your first email, when someone joins the list, reiterate it, tell them about it, and actually sell the value of receiving emails from you. Because I'm going to show up every single day with a tip, a hint, a tip, a story about about that's going to help you improve your email marketing in our case, or whatever it is that you do. So tricking people to open your emails, tricking people onto your email list, I mean, those a million carriage returns at the bottom of an email, so that it pushes the unsubscribe link right at the very bottom of the, uh, out of, out of the bottom of an email. Like, please, all this kind of rubbish, this BS, which is just tricking people and tricking people onto your list, tricking people to open your emails and then not allowing them to easily leave your list tells you one important thing. Your email marketing must suck. Because you've got, if you're going to trick somebody onto it and you won't let people out of it, you're trapping people into it. And this is what GDPR, this is one of the many things that GDPR was brought in place to stop, put an absolute end to, because it's horrendous. If you don't write the book, buy, die, and unsubscribe, then I might have to, because that was a perfect <laughs> summary of that whole scenario. But also, I think, I mean, the way I summarize that in my mind, I've experienced this recently, actually, with people that I actually quite admire in other mediums, but their email marketing has maybe given me an unfulfilled promise. So it's maybe tricked me into opening it, uh, maybe in a promise in the headline or the subject line. And then I've opened the email, I've been really disappointed. And it's kind of actually not only reflected on my interactions with their email, but my perception in terms of their reputation as well. It's changed my perception or yeah, yeah it changed my thoughts on their whole reputation. So I think that's another thing that I think about as you talk that through is it has an immediate impact even beyond unsubscribing. It can da- really be damaging to reputation. Is that something you see? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think, you know, again, we are 3D business owners we and we want to try and become 3D business owners too. Gone are the days where everybody just, you know, I mean, I remember, here's, here's an admission for you. When Kennedy and I both separately started our businesses as entertainers, we had, you know, we're just getting going. We had a, a made-up assistant you know, Barbara at mywebsite.com or whatever. And it was her job to like chase the invoices and do all the nasty stuff so that we could just, so that we could just be the, the fun entertainer guys that would turn up and do the show. And then that was that. And if you didn't pay your invoice, it was Barbara that was going to get, but it was actually just us with a different name. And it was really, that was us trying to be something we weren't. It was us trying to be something and, and to make out this thing of being this huge company and this huge organization. And now what's happened, and, and loads of people did something similar. You know, people would write on their websites, we will do this. You know, um, such and such plumbing limited established in 2015. Uh, we, and it's just them, just them on their own. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, but it was seen at the time, it, people felt like that was a bad thing to be a small one man, one woman band. And now the, the world's gone the other way around. Huge companies, multinational global corporations wish that they had the opinion Peel and the draw and the pull of a small one-man business. So now they're all, tr- and, and the ones that aren't should be, trying to really personalize 
the brand. It's the reason why, obviously, in the UK, we've got things like Go Compare, this huge insurance company. And when you think about Go Compare, you don't think about the whoever the guy is, who's CEO and the, the board of directors or anything. You see, you think about uh, an Italian opera singing character uh, with a funky mus- mustache and all of that stuff. Whether you like him or not is is personal choice. But like some people will love it and some people will hate it. But you buy into that person as the face of Go Compare, not the people who actually run the company. And that's that's their attempt in my opinion. That's their attempt to try and really personalize the thing. And as a result of that, a knock-on effect of that, which is a really positive change in business, as a result of that, you finish up becoming very 3D. People do want to engage with you on all the platforms. They do want to engage with you everywhere. They do want to feel closer to you. And so that you can't help but say the minute you do something, I mean, one re- one other grubby email practice, well, marketing practice generally, but it's used a lot in email, is sort of like extending deadline offers and that kind of thing. So uh-huh. there's a, you know, there's a, a particular business owner marketing coach that we've bought a lot of stuff from over time and currently is running an offer that expires on Friday. But I think it's been extended for just another 24 hours, about six six times in the last week or two. And the minute that happens, that of course diminishes our trust in their email marketing because, well, we don't need to buy that offer for two grand today because it's probably going to be available again tomorrow because he's going to extend it again. But also it diminishes the trust and the desire to want to work with that person going forward. People, I always think you should um, you should market the way you want to be marketed to. Again, that's part of the philosophy of our email stuff. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's a really big problem. This really kind of reminds me of, um, of this big fallacy that there is in, in the email marketing, which is that the subject line is the thing that gets your emails opened. It's not. The email subject line, people labor over it. What's the best email subject line? It's not the thing that gets your email opened or not. The thing that gets your email opened or not is your name. That first left-hand side, the column where they see your name, that's the thing that gets your emails open. Because let's be honest, if my friend Scott here drops me an email, and it has no subject line. If my mum sends me an email, I don't know how she would do that. I don't think she has an account. But if she did, one, I'd be concerned. Secondly, secondly, if it didn't have any subject line, I would definitely open that email. Why? Because the thing that gets the email opened is your reputation with that person. What is their subconscious reflex reaction when they see your name? Because we've all got people who see the name, pop in their email inbox, companies, individuals, whatever, and we immediately go, Oh, no, I can't deal with that right now. Thank you very much. I'll have a look at that later. As we all know in marketing a business, later is never. So we want to make sure that when your name lands in that inbox, I know that every time that Rob at Email Marketing Heroes lands in our subscribers' email inbox, they know there's going to be something extremely valuable, something really practical, something that's going to make them laugh or entertained in some way is going to be in that email 100% of the time because that's the emotional response we want to get. And that's why we get really good open rates. And that's the reason why so many people enjoy our emails and actually make sales. Hmm. So before we go into some of the techniques that you use, I'm actually interested in process. You know, Techniques and process are quite different. In terms of process, do you plan out emails together? Does one of you write, one of you the idea generator? Do you mix it up? Like, tell me a little bit about the behind the scenes process for your email marketing. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's, um, we have a whole bunch of ways and structures that we use in order to, to write emails. Um, sometimes if you need to batch create 
a bunch of emails. Then we created a process ourselves that we needed to one day, we needed to write 60 emails for a certain sequence we were writing. So we were like, how do we create a system that means each email is interesting, but also they don't all sound the same. That's a danger in batch creating anything, isn't it? Any kind of content for any channel is that they all have that same sort of tone or that same sort of feel or vibe. So we want to make sure that that wouldn't happen. But then on a day-to-day basis, honestly, our process is one of us is in charge of the email marketing for each of our our sort of sub-brands. So in email marketing heroes in particular, Rob is the person who thinks and writes and sends the emails every single day, pretty much always in real time. There's exceptions when we're doing a particular campaign like we have an online uh, event each year called Inbox. When we're, do- when we're in like promotions for that or a special offer or something like that's going on, then we'll obviously switch it, it to, we'll switch it to planning that more and more advanced. But usually when we're talking about our membership, the league, or he's talking about this week's episode of the Email Marketing Show podcast, something like that, it's in real time. It sort of leads us quite easily, I guess, into the tactics of that, if, if you're happy for me to sort of start going into that. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, totally. So one of the techniques we use for this is, or as you'll see, we've created a bunch of strategies that allow us to reduce the amount of resistance any of us has to doing the thing, right? Because you want to make sure it's easy, especially if you're mm-hmm. going to do it often. If you're going to do it three, five, seven times a week, like we do in this business. So one of the techniques we use is to write an email every day and reduce that cognitive load, reduce the amount of friction we have against doing it by making sure it's something we can, we don't have to do too much research on. We don't have to think too much about it. So uh, this is what happens for me every day. I wake up in the morning. It's about half past five when I get up because I like to be up early. And I'm boiling my, as I'm going downstairs into the kitchen to put my the kettle on to boil my first cup of tea of the day, I'm asking myself a really important question. And that is, what is the least boring thing that happened to me in the last 24 hours? Now, that sounds like a really flip and simple question, but actually it's not. It's a question we've labored over a lot. And if you use that particular question, what's the least boring thing that happened to me in the last 24 hours? And it should not be work-related. It's the whatever's happened in your life. We'll get onto how you make it work-related for a work email in a second. But if you ask yourself that, your brain does not put up the resistance of asking a question like, what's the most interesting thing that happened in the last 24 hours? Because the answer your, bra- your brain will give you is, nothing interesting ever happens to me, obviously, because your brain does that. If you say what's the least boring thing, it will find the least boring thing. The thing will come to the surface. So now you know what that thing's going to be. And then I flip open the, e- the, the, the laptop while the kettle's boiling, and I start typing the story of that activity, of that thing. So... Let's say, for example, let's take an example of something we sent recently. So Rob bought a new mattress for his bed during the pandemic. So he was thinking about, okay, I'm buying a new mattress. The tricky thing about that is you can't sit on the bed uh, on the mattress and test it out in a mattress shop. So it's kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Like buying a mattress on the internet. What kind of, how firm do you want it? I don't know. How firm is firm? So that was the story he started to type about buying this mattress on the internet. So that's got nothing to do with email marketing, but he is going to send this to the email marketing list to teach people and give some value about email marketing. So then what we're going to do is going to go from that story, that's the first element of this three-element process. So the first one is story. The second bit, we're then going to go into what we call the lesson. And as you're typing that story, and that story is going to be 100 words or less, you're going to be asking yourself, what is the lesson? What is the moral of this story? How can I serve the emotional needs of my audience with this story? 
What's the lesson I can pull out from it? And in this case, it could be something like, well, for us, for example, it would be, well, buying anything on the internet is kind of tricky because if people can't pick it up and see that it's real and see how robust or reliable or good it is, it's challenging. So we've got some work to do as people trying to sell things online in order to make sure people feel safe and confident in buying anything. Oh, okay. That's a valuable lesson. So what we've done by doing story, then lesson, the first two phases of the three-stage process, is we've given two pieces of value by default. We can't help it if you do story, then lesson. You've given before you're even going to make a request, and you've given twice, because then you're going to transition into the third stage, which is the offer. Story, lesson, offer. That's three phases. So that offer stage could be hey, we help you do this. We help you make sure that your offers are really convincing. They're really robust. They're really exciting and engaging for people inside of our membership, the League of Email Marketing Heroes. Click here to go and find out what it is and link to your product or whatever. The offer could also be a free thing. It could be, and we talk about that more in this week's episode of the Email Marketing Show, or here's a free report, or here's a whatever, here's my YouTube thing, or here we're talking about that on our Instagram Live this week, whatever. But the format is story, lesson, offer. And that means every time you send an email, three days a week, five days a week, seven days a week, whatever it's going to be. You always use that format. And that means you can't help it but be giving two pieces of value before asking for one piece of something back, that offer. Two value, one offer every single time, which means you don't have to think, is today a value day? Oh, is it okay if I ask for something today? You don't even need to have that conversation with yourself. That makes sense. So it makes the it makes everything about the writing process easier. Also, in terms of I mentioned before about fulfilling a promise, your audience starts to build up an expectation. I imagine that they know they're going to get a lesson. Like the predictability or the consistency is something that I imagine is reassurance to your uh, audience because they know what they're going to get every time they open those emails. Uh, in terms of the offer part, is that something that you do include in every email that you send? I was just thinking about the structure and wondering. I guess I'm just curious to know whether you can deliver a really good email with just the story and the lesson as opposed to then incentivizing someone for the click through at the end. Do you ever leave them hanging in any way? Very rarely. So I would say probably 100% of our emails have something to click on. Um, in some circumstances, that is the fact that in the bottom of every email, we have something. It's an old idea that's been around for a long time, created by the marketer Dean Jackson called the super signature. We've messed with it a little bit and we created something we call the super signature reloaded. But in a nutshell, it's it's an enhanced version of what Dean created. And it's basically at the bottom of every email, it says, by the way, when you're ready, here's four ways we can help you. And then we give them four possible options. They're completely unrelated to the story lesson or the offer. They're just sort of four things. And there are four core things. So in our business, those are something that they can do completely for free and anonymously, which is go and listen to the Email Marketing Show podcast. The second one is come and join our Facebook group. So that is free but it's uh, less anonymous. You have to go, you have to search for the email marketing show community. You have to click to join. We'll then be able to see who you are because of your Facebook profile. You can then choose to give us your name and email address if you weren't already on our list, which obviously in this circumstance they are. Um, but it's it's free, but less anonymous. Then the next option is you can join our membership, the league, and there's a link to go and do that. And then the last one is you can hire our agency where we'll actually do all of the emails for you if you're more interested in who's just, you know, just having it done rather than having to learn how to do it. And so what that means is that every email does have this little menu of options at the bottom of it just for whenever you are ready we're here don't worry about it there's no pressure there's not a sales pitch but when you're ready just here's some stuff 
So every single email has those in them and th- those get clicked pretty much every day. Having said that, the vast majority, so that's 100% of our emails really have those in them. I would say that probably 95% of our emails do have a direct offer in the email itself. The only occasions where that wouldn't be the case is sometimes we'll strategically use an email to um, just warm them up for the thing that's coming tomorrow. So like sometimes we do a thing called a BED campaign, B-E-D, which stands for uh, Beliefs, Evidence, and Desire. And basically we we tell a story that builds belief and there's nothing to click on. And the next email is we build up evidence that supports the belief that we give them on day one and, and evidence of the importance of this thing. And then on day three, we build up the desire. And those typically are just st- stories and lessons, but without the offer in them but the offer is coming on the fourth day effectively we're about to roll into a a, maybe a three four five seven ten twelve day campaign and the bed campaign is designed to build the beliefs evidence and desire they need in order to make that a relative no-brainer once they get into it but for the majority of emails they do have that offer in but the offer doesn't have to be paid so sometimes like typically once a week on a wednesday when the new episode of the email marketing show comes out either on the wednesday thursday or friday one of our emails will it will be a story, a lesson, and the offer will be, we talked about this more in this week's episode of the email marketing show, click here to go and find out what we said. And so what we're really looking to do is to train engagement. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, because open rates are no longer an accurate metric, they were never very good, but now they're horrendously bad. We sort of ignore open rates completely. Obviously, we want to do stuff to try, that's not to say, you know, you you do want to try and get people to open your emails. Of course, that's important. If they don't read your emails and engage with the stuff, then they can't take it to the next level. But we sort of ignore the percentage number more or less completely. However, what we do want to do is we want to get people to click because clicking on stuff is really our only true metric of how engaged the list is. Obviously, we can sometimes track things like replies or forwards if your platform does that, but clicking through is the one that all of the platforms can do and all of them can do very accurately. accurately. So we really treat that as our sort of North Star thing that we're really paying attention to is how many people are clicking on the links. And so one of the problems is the minute you start to have more than a handful of emails that don't have links in them, you now have no real metric of how engaged the list are, which means that if you're going to do things like revival campaigns to re-engage sleeping subscribers, you've actually got way less data to go on the minute you stop putting stuff in for people to click. And so from day one of joining our list, when people go through our welcome sequence, which we call our getting to know you sequence, we are constantly just training them to click. We're giving them lots of stuff to click on and we're training them to click because as Kennedy hinted at earlier, if you're not training somebody to do something, you're training them not to do it. And so from day one, one of the things that people do when they come into our world is they say, look, I've got this list of 100, 200, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 people. And when I email them, it's all a bit lackluster. I don't get much of a response. We say, well, tell us about your email marketing up to this point. And they say, well, you know, I send an email once, maybe twice a month. Um, it's sort of a newsletter that just tells them what's going on. Uh, don't really make offers very often. There's not a lot to click, to click on. The truth is there's a lot of bad training there. If you think about it, if you if you adopt a dog when the dog is 10 years old and it's been allowed to run ragged for a really long time, You've got a lot of work to get that dog to even sit and give you the paw, never mind all the complicated stuff like don't go and bite the postman's hand off and stuff like that. So you've got a lot of of bad training to undo. So what we're constantly looking at is how can you train every subscriber from day one? And clicking is the primary thing you want them to do because without clicking, they can't really buy. So the, the click is really what we're going for in every email. The interesting part is I think that through as well is I assume that means that with all of your emails or the majority of them, do you only have the links to click at the bottom of the email? So there are no links in the actual body of the content or above, like in the introduction, for example? 
It's a great question. And actually, that, so to, to be, give you the sort of bigger sort of picture of this, this SLO, Story Lesson Offer Framework, is one of four that we use and teach. Um, there is another way of doing this where you can have the links earlier on. So you might like, hyperlink one of the, like, this week inside of our membership, The League, one person was asking and then go into the story about that. And you might, you know, have the, the, the link, uh, in, in line, as we call it, where, where, where the, the words, the membership, our membership, the league are actually the link as well. So what's really important is that you really look at how do you get more people to click those links? Like Rob said, it means you, you're proving more engagement, which means deliverability is increased because that looks like more engagement to Gmail and all those other ones. But also you can actually track that, identify people. And if they, if they engage a certain number of times, we have another campaign that we teach called the Tell Me More campaign, which is basically someone clicks three times to look at our same sales page in the 60-day period. We then take them out of whatever else they're looking at and we communicate directly with them because the first time they clicked, they were checking it out. Second time they clicked, they were sort of reminding themselves. The third time, that shows a high level of intent of like, what is this? So then we want to make sure we're directly handling objections and taking care of that person. I really like the question as well. What's the least boring thing that you did today? Even as you posed that question and we're giving it as an, as an example, my mind started to run away with me. And one of the things that I started to do was like, it, it made the process of thinking about what I've done more fluid. Yeah. And I was comparing in my mind all of the things that have happened to me to see which was the yeah, the least boring. Um, can you apply that same, the kind of structure of that question to other aspects of marketing? Does it still work? Do you apply it in other areas of your life? I mean, a lot of what we teach really applies to other bits like social media and, and whenever you're doing anything really to make it more interesting and personality full. I think, you know, if, if reality TV tells us anything, whether you love it or hate it, it tells us that generally speaking, we as people like to see behind the scenes in other people's lives. And truthfully, before reality TV, it was soap operas. The reason EastEnders and Coronation Street and everything are interesting is because it's almost like it gives us this slightly voyeuristic view into what could be our neighbors' lives, you know, the, the, the things that go on behind the scenes in the houses of the people who live around us. And again, love it or hate it, whether you watch those programs or not, it's sort of baked into our human nature nature that we care about what other people are doing. And on a really future, a really modern level, if you look at the people who are social media influencers, these young, trendy people typically who are, you know, who built YouTube channels of millions of viewers very early on, the reason that worked is because actually initially they, they didn't have a gimmick. They didn't have a thing. They didn't have a thing to teach. They weren't offering anything. They had nothing to sell. They had no benefit to add to anybody's lives other than being interesting, effectively TV presenters, but stuck on, on their own channels on YouTube where they had control of it. And again, I think that what, what that shows us, the fact that that's possible and that's become a thing, um, is that what we really care about is, is seeing inside of people's lives. So typically speaking, um, and here's an interesting behind the scenes nugget. When we post on social media, either in the email marketing show community Facebook group or on our Instagram, and we try and teach email marketing stuff, truthfully, the engagement's not very high. The minute Kennedy mm -hmm. posts a picture of his dad on his dad's 80th, him and his dad on his dad's 80th birthday part, uh, 80th birthday talking about the thing they did, engagement explodes, hundreds of likes and comments and stuff. Because we want to see the people behind the scenes. So I think there's a big lesson that we put into our email is that our emails deliver value to people and they definitely teach stuff, but they are not long form content. The long form content, that's the stuff that you pay us for. 
It's the, the stuff that's on the social media and the stuff that's in our email is the surface level what to do and why it's important, the how to do it you pay us for. Or if your thing is a product, if it's a you know, physical product or a physical service that somebody's paying you to do, then obviously that's the same thing. The, the how and the what is wrapped up into that. But on the on the, the free content by, by email and on social media, what you really want to be sharing is the motivation, the permission, the, the, you know, the excitement building around it, because that's valuable, that's valuable to people. And in fact, data has shown us that in some regards, it's more valuable to give that away for free than it is to try and teach stuff because people don't really attribute the the value to the they don't really attribute the value to the the sort of technical how to do it stuff when it's just posted for free on the internet. So it's a weird thing. Most people overteach and they they give away too much stuff and then that restricts the sale. Whereas what you really want to do is teach what we consider to be. And this sounds like a horrible way of putting it. It's not intended to, but the sort of surface level fluffy stuff and wrap it with your personality and the stuff that's going on in your life. And really what Kennedy hinted at before about looking after the emotional needs of your audience, this is what we do all the time. So as our audience are typically small one to two person businesses, maybe with a couple of virtual assistants or a tiny team around them working from home, we know that whilst they're they're in our world to learn email marketing, to make more sales of their stuff, we know that. But their emotional needs are things like how do you work from home when you've got a wife, husband, and kids kicking about during the holidays and the dog's constantly um, pestering you to go outside for a walk? And, you know, you just fire up that Zoom call and as soon as you do, the Amazon delivery man arrives and you've got that awkward bit to, to figure out. And, you know, you know that at the end of the year, the tax, the accountant's going to come and tell you you've got a tax bill, which you sort of knew was coming, but you haven't planned for. And, all of these things and how do you, you know, what's the perfect morning routine to get the productive day and how do you stay productive working at home? These are all the emotional needs that we, they've got nothing to do with email marketing. We just know that they're interesting and, and stuff to our audience. And so what we're constantly trying to do by email and in social is to share interesting content that is not just about email, but is email wrapped in all of those other things because that makes us a really important baked in part of somebody's life. How else do you manage that threshold of knowing when to inform and entertain versus sell and not give away too much, uh, I guess, of the free advice? And one thing I'm thinking specifically here is we talked before about the process of sitting down, asking yourself those questions and then starting to write. Do you like put a time limit on the amount of time that you write in the morning and say, right, that's that done with and then I move on? How do you do that? I mean, for me, I, I, I'm dyslexic. So the way, the reason I started writing these emails anyway was actually as my own way of going, well, I'm going to just become a better writer in spite of this dyslexia that I've been told I've got. So I, I started off by st- taking about 20 minutes to write one of these emails. On average, these emails are about 175 words. We sort of calculated a, a few uh, a little while ago. Should do it again recently, again more recently, but uh, we haven't. About a year ago, we did an average. It was about 175 words, and now it takes me around four and a half to five minutes to do it. Because as long as you stick within the structure that like you've promised yourself and that you've set up as the expectation with your audience, and whatever that structure is, as long as you stick within that, then you're delivering value. But also you can't be giving everything away. But also let's look at what people actually pay for. I mean, what are they paying for in your business? Are they paying for structure? Are they paying for things being in the right order? Are they paying for the support? Are they paying for... So for example, it doesn't matter how much we teach you about email marketing through our emails. Like you'll learn a lot. We've taught a lot of stuff on this podcast, right? But what people pay us for is, well, in our membership, in our case, it's 
literally the email campaigns to make more sales. More than 27, almost 30 email campaigns for every single possibility of things you might want to do in your business at different stages. That's what people are paying for. It's for our coaching twice a month, every single month. So as long as we're not giving those things away, we can give away everything else. And that's your distinct advantage over everybody else, right? Because if somebody else is charging for something, but you don't charge for that, and you've got no plan on charging for that, guess what? If it's valuable to your audience, you can give that away. Because the thing that you're selling is the thing you protect. You can give everything else away. I don't believe that you should have like this, this sort of solid metal box around the stuff that, that you will teach and won't teach. It's just like, give everything away as much as you possibly can because people pay for that structure. They pay for exclusivity. They pay for access. So like, what are they going to pay you for and give everything else away? There's one aspect of email marketing. We've talked about it from maybe the business perspective and the benefits to the audience. But I also am hearing the enthusiasm just in your tone about email marketing and the enjoyment. And that's the word that comes to mind. All of these techniques that you're discussing seem to make email marketing just an enjoyable process for you. It sounds like you actually enjoy sitting down, challenging yourself with these structures and just it allows you just in terms of even just that time limit you discussed there, spending 20, 20, 30 minutes in the morning writing these emails. It's an enjoyable part of your day, which then allows you and frees you up creatively to focus on other things. So you're not sat there, you know, what should I write today? And challenging yourself immediately from the start of the day with that kind of mental challenge. It's a fluid start to the morning. Is that how you feel? Does it help you creatively in other areas of your business? I think one of the things that's interesting about our approach is because what we're doing every day is sharing stories and stuff that's fun. The stories we're sharing, to give you like a real life example of this, is the stories that, let's imagine you've got a partner who works in an office, uh, you know, 10 miles away and will be out from nine to five and will get home at six, half six, something like that. When that person gets home, you can't wait to tell them, this thing. Oh, you wouldn't believe what the neighbor said earlier on. You won't believe this letter we've received. And it's little things. And what we started to do is uh, one of the places this came from was we were on the, we were about to get a train from Newcastle, where we live, down to um, Northampton, not the easiest train journey in the world. And it required a couple of changes. And when we got to Newcastle train station, the first train was cancelled, which means that we now had to sort of blag our way through trains we weren't really supposed to be on in order to just get to the place to do this 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 presentation. And so we had this, what turned into about a seven-hour journey from, from leaving the station to get to where we wanted to be. And again, getting on trains we weren't supposed to be on and all of this. And along the way, about halfway through that journey, Kennedy said to me, there are so many emails that have come out of today, like so many stories we could tell. I mean, it would be boring if we told all of them because they're all about this same journey. But you know, there are so many of these things that could turn into emails. And so we coined this phrase where we'd say there's an email in that. What we mean is really there's a, there's a story in that. There's something story worthy in that thing. And therefore, it's email worthy. And so you know that feeling when somebody gets home, either the kids get home from school or your partner gets home from work or you, you, know, you see your parents after you haven't seen them for a while. And there's those stories you just can't wait to tell them about the thing that happened. Those are the stories we're telling in email. And so when we send an email out, our list is about just under 5,000 subscribers. So for somebody who runs email marketing heroes, don't think we've got a list of tens of thousands of subscribers, by the way. It's very intentionally quite a a smaller list than most people would expect. So about 5,000 subscribers. I feel like every day I get to go and tell an interesting, funny, whimsical story about something that's occurred with my pets, with the garden, with the house, with business with something to 5,000 
friends effectively 5,000 people who are there and waiting to hear what that next story is going to be and we get loads of people who join our membership the league which is the thing we primarily sell and then get in touch with us afterwards and say can I keep getting the emails I just want to keep hearing what's going on in your life and it's just little things like randomly today I heard the postman shoved a letter through the door and on the envelope it was just written to the occupier of the house and on the back of the envelope it said this and this letter contains details about funeral uh, plans that to me was interesting enough that I want to, I didn't open it. Obviously I just threw the thing away, but I, I wanted to, I, and I want to go and tell my 5,000 friends about this interesting letter that came through the door. I've never had that before. So every time something like that happens, I'm just excited to go and to go and tell our list about it. And what you end up with very quickly is more stuff, more of these stories than there are emails to write almost that to the point that it's disappointing. Like there's probably three or four things from the last 24 hours that I could write an email about and I can only send one. So I sort of, or I'm going to only send one. So I sort of have to, to factor that in. The other thing is I really, we did a podcast episode about this recently. I'm not sure if it's out yet, but, um, on our podcast, the email marketing show, talking about the fact that we sort of use email marketing really as almost a therapy. I sit down and write emails that I want to write, regardless of whether anyone else wants to read them or not. Because I figure that if if they're emails that I want to write and they're emails that I would want to read if I received them, there'll be somebody else out there that would benefit and have value from this as well. Not everybody, definitely not everybody. People will still unsubscribe. And, you know, we have fairly high subscriber churn in terms of people coming in, being around for a bit, very quickly realizing, oh, this is too much email marketing for me and then unsubscribing. That's perfectly fine because email subscribers aren't Pokemon. You don't have to collect them all, catch them all. You just have to get the ones who are going to hang around and be there for the, for the long term. And that's what we're really doing. And so um, we sort of really see it as a therapeutic thing. So it definitely does inspire your day correctly, whether you do it first thing in the morning like Kennedy does or randomly throughout the day like I do, just whenever you've got five minutes and the feeling takes you. Uh, it's definitely it's definitely a, a beneficial, almost therapeutic thing to do. Just a final question, actually. You just triggered one final question. You said when the feeling takes you, and you talked about the example of the train journey. Do you kind of have a bank of ideas or do you actually challenge yourself to just forget the things that have happened and just focus on the, like, the last 24 hours? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we, we often say is some days you're going to have more email-worthy things happen, events happen. Other days, you might just be sat on your, sat in your pants on the sofa and not doing anything. Now, I have sent an email in my life which was about nothing happened to me today. I sat in my pants. I've got, I don't know what to talk to you about. But, and then that turned into a lesson about not knowing what to talk about and, 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 and so on and so forth. So the absence of something can be something in itself. Uh, but yes, so we have a, a concept we teach called the story vault, which is literally just a really simple Google document or Google spreadsheet, if you want. And when things happen, just make a note of them. It could be a, a thing in, in, the, in the notes on your phone, just to store them for those days when you're just feeling uninspired. So you definitely want to collect stories as they happen. And it's like anything. As you become more, more aware of thinking about these things, you'll start to see more of them. I want to thank you both for sharing your stories with me today because it's been a really fascinating episode. It's really made me smile and really made me think about email marketing differently. I appreciate it. But before we let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, in particular the league uh, and the email marketing show? Yeah, definitely. So obviously you like podcasts, uh, so you're listening to this. You can go and check out The Email Marketing Show, um, just wherever you get your podcasts from. It's blooming everywhere. So go and find The Email Marketing Show. We have a new episode every Wednesday. We really just have a laugh, honestly. The episodes are quite short. They're typically 20, 25 minutes, and we have a real laugh and just chat about whatever is on our brain when it comes to email marketing and things like that. So definitely go and check out The Email Marketing Show. But we've also got a really cool free resource for you that we'd love to give. We've talked already about the importance of getting more people 
to click on the emails, uh, click on the links in your emails rather, not click on the emails in your links. That's a different thing, uh, but to click on the links in your emails. Um, so there's a free report that we put together for you called Click Tricks. It's 12 really creative, exciting, and interesting ways to get more people to click on those links and to dress up those links so that they appear to be different. Um, if you want to grab that, just head over to emailmarketingheroes.com forward slash IMP. Wonderful. All that's left to say is, Rob, Kennedy, thanks so much for your time. And this has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.